Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wix Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. So recently, maybe you noticed in the news about the civilian space flight that went up into space and back, right? Maybe you heard about Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and traveling to space and back in their little rocket ship. But actually, back in 2004, there was a prize, and and maybe you heard this. I thought, man, I must have been really busy in 2004 because this was new news to me. But 2004, there was what was called the Ansari X Prize. What this was was $10 million to the first non-governmental organization to launch a reusable crewed spacecraft into space twice within two weeks period. Anybody hear of that? Did y'all even know that? You know, me either, man, we would have got on that $10 million. We're smart enough. Surely we could do that. Bo and Cody would have been all over that. One time we almost had Bo convinced he launched a rocket to our house from his house. Yeah. It was a a rocket that kind of went bad. And when we heard this story of like how bad it went, Literally that weekend, our glass had gotten busted out of our vehicle, like the back end. And Thomas told some story to Bo of like, man, just some kind of random metal piece come, you know, and hit the back of our car. He he had that boy almost convinced he had busted our window out. And if anybody knows where I live, you know how exaggerated that is. (laughs) I almost got $10 million. because he wanted to try to increase the interest and push forward civilian space flight, okay? And so he actually got this idea from um, back in 1919. There was a prize offered, $25,000, which would have been big back in 1919, um, for airplane travel, and which actually in 1927, Charles Lindbergh won that And so he thought, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to offer $10 million to the first team. And there was 26 different teams around the globe that got in on that. And they began to strategize how they were going to win this. So there were different fuels. I think every team had a different fuel they wanted to use and the strategy behind that. There were different strategies of how to launch the aircrafts to get them up into space safely with the civilians. These were not just Bo and Cody out in the field shooting off rockets, all right? This was not just a blind attempt at this. They had a strategy. Strategy, the definition, one of them says, it's a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major overall aim, okay? So one of my strengths, if you take the strengths finder test, one of my strengths, top five, is strategic, which means basically I assess every option available to come up with the best option from point A to point B. One of the first things I warned the board members when y'all interviewed me was what? I ask a lot of questions, and it's not because I doubt your plan or I doubt your way of doing things. It's how my brain is wired, and I need answers. This so helped my children 
just a little too late in life. You know, they was like, oh, that's why mom, every time we come home and said, hey, can we do this? You immediately went into who are you with, where you going, what time you coming back? And Well, that's part just mom, right? That's just who we are. But I mean, that's just how my brain is geared. You know, it's the strategic way. I want to make that plan as we aim towards the goal. Another definition of a strategy, and my military people probably recognize this, it's the art of planning and directing overall military operations and movements in a war or a battle. I love the songs you picked out. You talked about battle today and that it's not our battle. And I love this because I give Emily free reign with music on the fact that we don't always compare notes of what I'm preaching versus what she's singing. I did the same thing with Brittany And yet, y'all think we coordinate it all. No, the Holy Spirit does that work. But did you know that humans are not the only ones with a strategy? God tells us in the Bible that Satan has a strategy to deceive us. How do we fight it? How do we fight against his strategy? We recognize it and we resist it. Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And just so y'all know, I know y'all have seen me and Thomas wearing these. We've been traveling and I've had funerals and just precautious this morning. No real reasons. Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 4. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of a devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Father, this is your word, alive and active. And may it change us today because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So Satan has strategies. And I'm just, you know, there's many forms of strategies, but I'm going to focus in on about three of them. The first one I want to talk to you about today is the fact that Satan tries to keep the unbeliever from knowing God. 
I mean, that's strategy number one. He wants to just keep us from knowing about Christ. So his first plan is just to keep people from ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do you think he's closing the borders of Afghanistan right now? Because the Christian church is one of the fastest growing religions in that area. It's a strategy. Why do you think someone who was dead set, I'm going to church for the first time this morning, I bet their alarm didn't go off this morning. (laughs) I bet something came up and they were up all night last night and slept in this morning. Why? Because Satan does not want an unbeliever to hear the word of God. What did I just pray? God, it's alive and active. Changes because of who you are. But if you don't hear the word, it cannot change you. 2 Corinthians verse 4, or, or chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the strategy of your enemy is trying to blind us so we can't see. We're in the darkness. Do you you remember those days? How many of you can recall the days before Christ in your life? And do you remember how how you, you didn't understand when people began to talk church talk around you, right? You didn't understand even if you heard a scripture. Maybe you're, you were one of those people, like I talked about, like something always got in the way of you actually attending church or going to an event that could have possibly changed your life. We've mentioned before in here about generational curses. When those around us are in the darkness, we cannot see the light. So the pattern continues. I know working with teenagers for so many years, how we would see that darkness continue when they just wasn't getting it. Well, they didn't understand because we knew the family situation and the family situation was dark. And if they're surrounded by others who don't believe, there's no light. There's no light. And as much as we hoped and would pray, we were only getting these teenagers for one hour a week. Maybe two if we did another program. But how many hours are they in the darkness? That's why I urge you, church, to leave this place and continue reading your Bible. And I know, Pat, I'm very behind, all right? I I almost was bad yesterday and put an emoji of "Mm," on there to you because, yeah, you finished yours, but I did it. Okay, I'm behind again this week. I tried. I tried. (laughs) But it doesn't mean I'm not reading my Bible, okay? I'm just not reading that part of the Bible with you. (laughs) But I urge you to keep going because... This is just a very small part of your week, right? And you need light. But there are so many people around us, church. Listen to me. It's easy to judge sometimes circumstances, but I want you to see them through God's eyes today, that they are in darkness and they need the word of God somehow in their life. Teachers, you may be the only light your children see at school. 
You may be the only joy and hope that they have to change those generational curses. And it's a real thing. It's a real thing. There's certain teenagers that sometimes when I see their Facebook or or Instagram posts, I just cry because I know what they came out of. And they did it. They got out. And God is doing something with their life. And they broke that curse. They saw light. And they got out. And I love that. This is why sometimes the most amazing testimonies come from events when we go to a women's meeting or a men's meeting or we went to camp. You know, some of you, I bet you have testimonies of when you were a kid and attended church camp. Why is that an easy place for God to to speak to us? Because we get out of our norm and we get around to other people that have the light. And we get in a place that people have prayed over. Diane, do you remember our first women's meeting we went to, Women of Faith? And the minute I stepped in that arena, I just cried. We hadn't even sang a song. We hadn't even said a word. But you knew the Spirit was there. And I knew how hard the enemy strategized to keep me from going to that meeting to where I almost didn't go. And that meeting changed everything for me. Because when I came out of that meeting and Donna Bean said, what do you think of that? I said, I want to do that. And that was the first time I had a glimpse of what you see today. Not that I thought this, but I knew I want to share light like those ladies just did. So sometimes when we get out of our norm and away from the darkness of just the life around us, sometimes we're able to hear and we're able to understand. Now, this is why what may seem easy or simple to you and I, we are believers. I know I'm preaching to the choir on this point. It seems easy and simple to us, but I need you to understand for someone who's in the dark, hearing the word of God can be the hardest thing sometimes. And they don't understand. They cannot grasp how simple it is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin. And he rose again to give us eternal life. That sounds so simple until you're in the dark. So keep that in mind when you approach people. Paul says that the governor was an intelligent man. I love that that's in there. He wasn't some dummy, right? He was an intelligent man, which means he could think for himself. But the enemy had a strategy, didn't he? He sent this false prophet to whisper in the governor's ear. Oh man, this is why it's important to, when you pray for your loved ones, pray for the people around them. When you pray for uh, people in the government and the president, pray for the people around them. Because the enemy has a strategy. And in in this passage, we saw that this false prophet is is whispering the lies. He had the ear of that governor. And this would have been common practice back then. They would have, you know, anybody that was not a Christian believer who was in authority, they may have a whole group of the wizards and the sorcerers and the, you know, fortune tellers to give them advice. So he had the ear of that governor. And it says in there that the sorcerer what? He interfered 
and urged the governor not to listen to the teachings of Saul and Barnabas. You have a governor who was interested. He invited them into his court to share the word of God. But then you have Elemis over here. Oh, yeah, don't. These guys, we ain't even sure about them. Don't, don't listen to what they're telling you. There's a strategy there. So those who are walking in the darkness are oftentimes even hostile towards God. Why? Because a lot of times the other people around them full of darkness has given them the misinformation of who God is. So they become hostile towards God. They become hostile towards other believers. Right? Why? Because they still don't understand. Because if all we hear and see is the negative side of things, we begin to believe it. Bo, play that video that I gave you this morning. People think we're more divided as a country now than we've been in a long time. I know it can seem that way, but when I was a little kid in 1969, the Vietnam War was tearing the country apart. And they'd shot John F. Kennedy, and they'd shot Bobby Kennedy. They'd shot Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And there was the Manson family and the Zodiac Killer, and it just felt like the whole country had lost its mind. My father had grown up in the Depression. Well, his faith in humanity was just at a low ebb. And the two of us that June were driving from L.A. to Oakland in our old 1960 Oldsmobile, and the water pump blew out south of Bakersfield. And so this was long before cell phones, so we were about... Oh, we were going to have to hoof it like nine or ten miles into town when this young cowboy pulls up in a flatbed and offers to tow us in. All my dad had on him for money was this old Chevron gas card, so he kept telling this young fellow, you know, I can't pay you. And the young cowboy's looking at him like, yeah, I wasn't going to charge you. So he rolls us into town, and this is a Sunday, so nothing's open. So he has to go get his mechanic friend to open up his garage, and my dad says, hey, listen, I don't have any money. And the mechanic says, you know, we'll work something out. And then they all realize they don't have the actual parts, so now they got to go roust out the local auto parts store owner, and they bring him down. And my father's like, okay, okay, we need to talk about how this is all going to get settled. Because he just couldn't imagine anybody being this trusting about the money. So the cowboy says, look at it and make you feel better. i got a bunch of watermelons I need to get loaded onto my flatbed, and it's pretty hot work, and if you help me out, I'll pay for the part. So next thing you know, we're all unloading watermelons from inside a rail car. That's about 140 degrees. And 90 minutes later... We are soaked in sweat and up rolls the car, just run like a top. And my dad says, I really don't know how to thank you, fellas, and, uh, for this good turn. And we're turning to go, and the mechanic gets this look on his face and says, whoa, whoa, where do you think you're going? And you could see on my father's face just all the fear and distrust come to the surface. He's stiffened like a leopard. And the mechanic says, no, 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 my wife's going to make us all Sunday dinner, and you and the boy can get a shower and a clean shirt, and it'll, it'll make the drive easier for all of us. So we sat down for a dinner of fried chicken from the chicken right over there and corn on the cob from the corn right over there. Man, I got to tell you, I, I, I will never have a meal that good ever again. And my dad didn't say maybe three words the whole drive. But when we got home, I got into bed. I was just about to turn off the light. And he stops in the doorway and he says to me, no matter what you see in the movies or on TV or you read in the papers, you listen to me. That's how people really are. And about a month later, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. So, keep the faith. No matter what you see, 
no matter what you hear. Isn't that the truth? We can watch the news all day long, and man, we can walk away in depression real quick. But if we miss those individual encounters to where we see the real heart of people, you know, that's so important. Early in this pandemic, there was this air of hope I remember feeling last year, where people around the world began to bond together because we were all going through something so unique for the very first time, right? And we were determined as humans, we'll get through this together. And part of that hope that I felt was because I saw how the church was beginning to expand, that these churches were being forced to understand the internet, and we were having to figure out new ways to share the gospel and to share worship time together, but we realized the church was still together. It looked different, but we were together. Oh, but then the enemy. He has a strategy. It wasn't long when we started feeling that hope that things about racism got into the news all around us. And then the elections and the politics began to divide us. And now the vaccinations are dividing us. Like that video, it's easy for us to say we've never felt so divided. Why? Because the enemy has a strategy. Another strategy Satan uses, he tries to prevent Christians from reaching the honest seekers. So now I'm talking to you guys maybe a little bit more this morning. Because you see, the governor, he was an honest seeker. It said he wanted to hear them share the word of God. He invited Saul and Barnabas to share, and then Elymas began to interfere. Remember, he's attached to that non-believer. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone or your, your basic testimony of faith with someone? And you feel like you know that it's a door God has opened up and I need to share this with someone, but what happens when you do this? Were you interrupted? Your cell phone went off. Do y'all know you don't have to answer them, by the way? You don't have to. It's not in the Bible that you'll be sent to Hades if you miss a call or a text, okay? Or maybe the other person's cell phone starts going off. You get interrupted, right? Or maybe someone else is with that person, you know, attached. And they start laughing at you and making fun of you so that that person isn't really listening now. Because see, in verse 8, it said that Elymas was trying to keep the governor from what? Believing. It's the strategy. Satan has a strategy. But verse 9 and 10, I love verse 9 and 10. Saul, also known as Paul, was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked that sorcerer straight in the eye. You son of a devil. I know y'all heard that with all that intent and slang in there. I know it. You son of a devil. Full of every sort of what? Deceit and fraud. Paul called him out. Paul called him out. 
Church, listen to me. There are honest seekers out there hungry for the word of God, hungry for the hope of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're one of them. Just because you're sitting here, I'm not going to assume you know Christ. Just because you're watching online, I'm not going to assume. Maybe you are one of them. But the enemy has a strategy. He will attach someone to you to help keep you stuck in the darkness. We have to be able to recognize this. I'm, I'm thankful that Paul was able to look and recognize this strategy. He knew I need to bind the voice of this sorcerer over here so that this governor can hear what God has for him today. Those are the prayers I pray over each of you every week. God, bind those, bind those voices when they walk in. Because there's so many things distracting your mind, whether it's where we're going for lunch or whether it's, oh, this is just not what I really came here to, to hear today. Then maybe you need to refocus. Because there's a strategy. Who is attached to you that you need to step away from so that you can hear a word from God? There's a saying we used to tell the teenagers all the time, and guess what? It holds true for adults. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who do you hang out with when you leave this building? I want you, I want you to be aware of that this week. Who do you hang out with? Because is it someone that's helping to build your faith? Now, I know we've, we've got to go share light. I understand that. But what's coming in your ear? Who's attached to you that you're listening to? Because you have an enemy, and he has a strategy. The third strategy I wanted to share. So, first of all, he wants to keep you from even knowing Jesus. But once you receive him, he can't even stop that, right? So then he's going to try to stop you from sharing more about Jesus. Because once you, once you have your salvation, Satan can't strip that from you. You're the only one that can give that up. So first he wants to keep you in the dark. Second, he says, fine, great, you got Christ, but I'm not going to let you share it with anybody. And then the third thing Satan will try to do is confuse the minds of Christians. To confuse, put chaos in the middle of the church. Imagine a non-Christian person saying to you, well, I just don't know if I believe in all that Christianity stuff. And you say, well, why not? Tell, tell me what is giving you doubt. Well, because I see so many Christians that they can't even get along with one another. Ouch, truth. Ouch. But you see, that's the strategy that Satan has for us. If I can create so much chaos inside that building that nobody wants to come here, what's going on? That'll keep somebody out. You know, the largest part of Paul's letters, if you start reading through the New Testament, they're addressing the mess that's going on inside the churches. Paul's letters are written to the church, not the unbeliever. They fall prey to all these false prophets. They're, they're falling prey to the cultural behaviors around them. 
They're still struggling with legalism. Do we do this or do we not do this? What is this? What is that? Other religions, we talked about the Gnosticisms that came in, the other religions that are trying to intertwine into Christianity, they're all strategies. Because there's one gospel, one Jesus Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I know we've all got some different names on our doors up and down this highway. One gospel. One gospel. But the enemy has a strategy. And he wants to disrupt the peace in the church. Satan loves to divide Christians over some of the dumbest things. False doctrines that that come into churches and just splinter the church. How do we fight these strategies? I said, we recognize it and we resist it. See, as we talk about how Satan works, I want you to incorporate that into you so you can recognize it when it starts happening. Because you see, we're going to fuss in the church. I've been in here long enough to know that. And how many times do we say, oh, I just got to leave and I got to go find a better church. If you find it, come get me. Because I don't think there's anything different out there. Because we all have a different taste in this or that or, you know. Some like this music, some like that, some like the pews, some love the chairs. We can find a reason to fuss. It's, it's more courageous for you to recognize the strategy and stay put and say, no, not today, Satan. We'll ride the wave. And I'm looking at a lot of faces. We've rode a lot of waves together in this church. I had a pastor ask me just the other day. He knows our stories, and he said, how are y'all doing? I said, we're good. I said, because we rode it out together. And we knew the strategy was to try to tear this church down. We didn't let it happen. Doesn't mean it's been easy, does it? But we stayed because we knew it was a strategy. You see, in sports, if you play sports, the coaches will watch hours of tapes and film time. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to learn the plays of the other team, right? Oh, I, I used to love to hear my coach on the on the phone, and he's talking to the other coach. Hey, hey have you got that last game that such and such played? Yeah, okay, I'll trade you this tape for that tape. You know, they're over here swapping tapes on all the teams. It's a little bit easier now in the digital age than it used to be when you seriously were swapping VHS tapes, right? So... The whole point is, they're trying to figure out the other team's what? Strategy. All those plays. The enemy has a playbook, church. And if you play sports, you also know that it doesn't mean there's 30 different plays. It can be just a handful they use over and over. The enemy has a playbook, and he says, I'm going to keep you in the darkness. He says, I'm going to keep you from telling other people about Jesus. I'm going to keep that church just so messed up, they can't move forward. But there's only so many strategies he can use. And then it becomes different times and different names, but the same strategy. 
We can look through history and see the enemy's playbook. Y'all know I've had a busy, busy week, a couple of weeks. And I begin to look because sometimes you have to look through the history to say, huh, what did the playbook look like and how did they get through this stuff? So I begin to look through the smallpox era. And I begin to go through what problems they had. Because I just want to know, are we doing something unique right now or have we seen this? And actually what kind of got me down that rabbit hole was a, a cartoon from the 1930s that I'd seen. And anyway, I'm not going to share, but it, it's, it's just about the issues of anti-vax and all that stuff. And it amazed me. Like, I seriously searched this out because I thought, no, somebody made this up. Somebody drew this and they're just saying this was in the 30s. Because it is exactly what we face today. But then when I began to look at that, then I found this other thing. There was a a pamphlet from a doctor in 1885 in Montreal, Dr. Alexander M. Ross. And he claimed to be the, the only doctor who dared to doubt the vaccination for smallpox at that time. And what struck me in this pamphlet was these four main themes that I found. And I want you to just listen with open ears to see if you recognize it. First, minimize the threat of a disease. Tell everybody it's a senseless panic. It's not as serious as what everybody's telling you. Second thing on his pamphlet, claiming that the vaccine caused illness and it was ineffective or both. He claimed that there was uh, all this stuff the vaccine would do to you, and and it was really groundless. There was no support for it, and it was just over-exaggerated stuff. His third thing was declare that the vaccination is part of a larger conspiracy. Remember, 1885, not 2021. He said in this pamphlet that the press and the medical people are lying to you. It's not as bad as what you think it is. He said the public health measures they're wanting you to go through, it assaults your personal rights. And the last thing he said, use alternative authorities to legitimize your argument. In other words, what I'm saying is true because look at this. Yet we stand here today in a world without smallpox. I didn't even have to take the vaccine. I don't know how many of you have the the little bump, (laughs) the little hole. I used to call it my mama's hole on her arm, right? Before I was born, right before I was born was when they stopped doing it. And and that's not even, this was a doctor, so this ain't including that that was the mark of the beast back then too, right? Y'all got it, I ain't. Sorry, you know? Church, I know what you're saying, Pastor, this isn't what we need to talk about from the pulpit. Why not? You see, this pandemic is getting in the church. It's affecting us. It's taking a toll on too many people. And I don't know if you noticed this week with all my text messages, 
Those numbers that we see reported every day from the government, they have names now. They have names that you and I know. And that hurt me a lot this week, standing by Ann's casket. (laughs) And I'm relieved that I get to preach a, a funeral that I know where she's at. But I'll be honest with you, as I have been walking through this with her family, how many more are in those hospitals that don't know Jesus Christ? This pandemic is affecting the kingdom. And how many are in that darkness when they pass? How many have tried to seek the truth, but the enemy had someone attached and they never got to hear it? How is it dividing churches so that we're not focused on telling people about Jesus or we're not focused on showing the love of Jesus? Who, by the way, gave up his rights so that we could live eternally. That's our example. You see, Paul recognized the deceit and the fraud, and he looked it straight in the eyes, and he called it out. And then what happened in verse 12 because of that? When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Church, I'm so over the deceit and fraud. I struggled with this message. But here's the truth. There are false voices all around us right now. And it's stirring up our emotions to where truth is not being heard. False prophets in pastor's clothing are telling you that if you wear this, get out of my church, you don't believe in God. I'm calling it for what it is. It's a false prophet. Because this is a piece of cloth that just helps. No different than the shoes on your feet. Why do we wear shoes? So you don't get those hookworms. So you don't cut your feet and cause infections. Why do we have ministries all about sharing shoes with children in third world country? It's just protection. And you see, I struggled with this because I thought, I know what they're going to think, Lord. They're going to think I'm up there trying to convince everybody to get back. No, I'm not. I really am not but I'm your pastor. That makes me your shepherd. And I know my flock is listening to voices that need to be called out as fraud and deceit. I need you to be aware there is a strategy that we can look through history and see it being repeated. You know, a college kid told me yesterday, he said, you know, about every hundred years there's a plague or there's something big like this that happens. Yep, and if we had enough history to look at what happens, it probably is just repeating itself. In March, when I got my first shot, I sat in Walmart with tears. (laughs) One, 
I thought of peers and friends who had already passed because of this stupid disease that didn't get that chance. I didn't take the shot because I thought it would make me Wonder Woman. I see Sandy, so I'm thinking Wonder Woman. I know that I can still get COVID, but I also knew it increased my chances of coming through it better. The second thing I cried for, though, and I know, my, I know the pharmacist down there at Walmart probably thought I was a nut because he probably could hear me whispering, but I was thanking God for answered prayers. Because you see, I stood on this stage and I prayed with you, church family. And what did we pray? God, mutate it to eradicate it or help them find the vaccine that we need. I feel like that prayer got answered. <laughs> and again, it's still your choice. You still need to talk to your health care provider. You still need to figure out if this is the best option for you. But I need you to also be aware there are voices out there full of deceit and fraud stirring your emotions and you're not able to hear truth. Church, we have an enemy, and his playbook is full of strategies. And right now, I'm seeing too many people die that I don't know if they know Jesus Christ. And honestly, they don't want to hear about it from us because we're too busy fighting. We're too busy posting on Facebook how much we hate the president, and we hate this, and we hate that. <laughs> it's a strategy. It's a strategy. Recognize it and resist it. We know God has won the war. Guess what? Our Bible tells us so. God wins. But just like Emily's saying, we're in a battle. We're still in a battle right now. Church, can we just pray together as we close? Stand with me this morning. I just want us to pray together. And I want you to hear your pastor's heart. I know we talked about the untalkable, the vaccine, and that shouldn't be in church, BJ. Yes, it should. When it affects the church, it's part of the church. But what I want to pray this morning, Lord, may truth be heard. Not just about vaccines, Lord, but about how easy a mask is, Lord, to help protect others. Because I know even though I'm vaccinated, I can still be a carrier of it asymptomatically, and I don't want to give it. That's just truth. It's just science. And Lord, may we just hear truth this morning. Lord, forgive us for listening to voices that, Father, I believe are full of hate and deceit and fraud. Because that's what the enemy wants right now. That's what the enemy is wanting us to do, to be divided in the church so that we're not sharing the gospel, so that people are remaining in darkness right now. Lord, I just pray that unity be restored, not just in this building, Lord, but in all of our churches connected together. And Lord, may you begin to heal 
Not just this land. I don't want to, I don't want to confine that prayer, Lord, because I see so much in Afghanistan right now that breaks my heart. (laughs) That Father, the church there has persecution like we don't even know. (laughs) We're just mad because we wear a mask. They're facing death, Lord. And I pray for the church there. I pray, Lord, I even pray for the Taliban that, Lord, remove what's attached to them so they can hear your word. Because you even created them. And you tell me, Lord, as much as I don't like to do it, you tell me to pray for my enemies and those who persecute us. So we do that today. God, I pray for the hearts of your people that are listening right now. I know this was a touchy sermon today, but I feel like you you gave me these words and you said, don't you back down. So Lord, now it's your spirit. And may he have his way in every person listening. But God, most importantly, may we leave here with a heart of love as we look at people and hear that question, are they in darkness and do they need the light? And may we become the light for others in so many ways. I love you, Lord. I thank you that your son did give up all rights so that I have this opportunity at eternal life with you. And may we continue to show it and share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, go find some air conditioning. Have a great Sunday with your family and go be a blessing to others. Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved.